1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue. And you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So
0: while I fly and talk to animals,
1: you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hello, and welcome to another fabulous episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner, and I'm so excited that you're joining me for this wonderful episode featuring producer Jamie Forshaw. Before we get into it, some housekeeping, as always... Uh, my husband and I have been renovating our lake house. It's been so exciting. We've been getting to know, you know, each other in this new element. Um, we were supposed to take two weeks off for our honeymoon, but we we're like, you know what? We have this log cabin that we can't sleep in yet. Why don't we take those two weeks and we start? And uh, we almost have a f- working bathroom. <laughs> Last night, literally, we just um, I-, I put down the f- floor molding, so that means the plumber then can come in and put in the toilet, and the sink, and the tub, and then once that's in, we're gonna really finish that bedroom so that we could start sleeping there over the weekends, which is, you know, the main goal. I'm um, gonna have a place for our puppy to run around and have space in, and it's just, you know, we're getting there, but I'm really proud of us. We demoed the bathroom, and I put down a tile and this Schluter-Dietra, you know, waterproof subfloor and put up drywall, and I'm really, we're, I'm really proud of us. Um, Remy saved uh, the, the hardwood floor in The bedroom, the original hardwood floor In the bedroom that was buried under t- 50 years of black tar So, you know, I'm proud of him And it's coming together If you want pictures, I'm posting a lot On TikTok and Instagram At the Michael Kushner So check it out As Dina Martina <laughs> Legendary drag queen Dina Martina says Check it! So check it um, wow I'm really cool everyone uh some more life updates um I'm you know I'm of course still knock on wood <laughs> in the photo studio um and but as in true multi-evident fashion I love things that take me out of the studio and explore the world as well um, without compromising my studio time so I'm still photographing same you know same amount of shoots per week um but uh, I'm continuing on with teaching at NYU and Strasbourg, but I'm also joining the faculty at the Norwalk Conservatory. Uh, it's the inaugural year at NOCO, and I'm really excited about it. I'm helping build their theater business uh, prog- program classes, so I'm just really, really excited about that. We're, it's looking to be an incredible syllabus, so i um, really excited about that new program. Thanks for having me, Danny George. Um, But anyway, that's, that's what my fall is, is shaping up to be. Uh, I'm also doing a, you know, what I'm, it's like a strike sale, right? (laughs) I mean, I'm trying to stay accessible during this time where we're on strike, and I completely support the strike and completely support the writers, and, um, you know, things are interesting right now. So uh, I'm trying to, keep those rates accessible so if you still need headshots and portraits and website photos and all that jazz um submit on my website com, and we'll send you the rates we'll send you the discounted rates i also do privates um so if you're listening to this podcast uh i would love to work with you one-on-one send me an email at um no not at uh send me an email yeah at dear multi it at gmail it's like with those with the social media handles I'm so used to like saying at before you can email me at dear it at gmail.com or message me at the michael Kushner or at dear multi um I would love to hear from you we could talk about agent manager strategy we could talk about creating your own business we could talk about your online persona like business strategy I love it let's do it let's talk let's get you to be a multi-hyphenate in this industry um so just you know contact me I can't wait to hear from you and also make yourself known if you listen to this podcast there's so many people that like talk to me and they're like oh I listen to your podcast and I'm like amazing can you put that on social media please tell people to listen to it um so you know tag me tag your favorite epi- let me know your favorite episode um um, if there's a quote that stood out to you, a certain conversation, whatever it is, uh, posted on Instagram, TikTok at the Michael Kushner at dear multi um, and also rate, comment, subscribe on Apple podcasts like that all really, really helps. So please do that. Um, and you know, I was just photographing, uh, I, I love it when you come say hi and make yourself known. I was just photographing Santino Fontana, Tony Winter, Santino Fontana at, Holmdel Theater Company, which is a theater in Holmdel, New Jersey, home away from home. I always photograph there. Broadway at the Barn series, and um, a listener, Alana, she heard my Broadway con episode and um, heard that I mentioned the flop musical Rex, which I was diving into, and she brought me a playbill from 1976, and it was so sweet. And uh, just made me feel so seen and heard, and that like people are listening. And I love that. That makes me really, really happy. Um, so keep listening. And again, rate, comment, subscribe, do all of that good stuff. Thank you. <laughs> um, anyway, let's get into the episode. That was a long enough uh, intro. I'm really excited to talk with Jamie Forshaw. It's a wonderful conversation. Uh, Jamie leads Madison Wells Live as their executive producer. Under his oversight, Madison Wells Live has developed a robust but curated slate of stage productions focused on essential artist-driven storytelling. Mm, love that. Broadway credits include Shucked, The Old Man in the Pool, Company, Hades Town, Passover, The Inheritance, and so many of these shows are, you know winners of best revival of musical tony award for best play it's just incredible and on the west end the ocean at the end of the lane uh, off-broadway seven deadly sins regional slept away and over the course of his 20 plus year career with an array of an intentionally recognized producers oh no over the course of his 20 plus year career working with an array of internationally intentionally is good too but internationally is great as well and that's intentionally what he wrote was internationally internationally recognized producers including cameron mcintosh Thomas Schumacher, and Michael Cole, Forshaw has become a sought-after specialist in managing high-profile, multi-million-dollar-budgeted global theater productions. He most recently served as VP of Production at Andrew Lloyd Webber's Really Useful Group, where he oversaw its full global roster of first-class productions. Mr. Forshaw holds an MFA from Columbia University in theater management and producing. Enjoy the episode. I'm so excited to have you, Jamie. This is great. This is... Our our press rep Ryan Rattel of RRR Creative connected us. I know he's the I'm best.
0: I'm excited to be talking to you. I'm I'm excited to be talking to you. I I've been following you, and you're you're incredible. Um, this is very exciting. Like you say, you talk to people from all stages, and and your your audience is so varied. I I love it.
1: Well, thanks. That's incredibly kind of you. I mean, we were just talking that like I. I it's important, yeah, and really cool when I get, like, A-list celebrities on the podcast, right? It's really great. I love it. But I really try to make sure that that is a once-in-a-while sort of gift thing because, um, you know, when I was originally – when someone first said the word multi it to me, um, I researched it, and it said – a celebrity who does a lot of things. And I was like, why is it going to be celebrity? Like so many of the multi-hyphenates I personally know are people that are like locally grown and like give back to the community in so many different ways. And so I was like, why is it a celebrity? So when creating this podcast, I was like, I, I don't need it to become a show where I only um, invite, you know, Egot's on or i'm trying to look at the or the current hot broadway celebrity it's not it's not about that it's about the people that are that are keeping the industry running and they might not be their story and perspective might not be centered all the time and sure maybe um they're not the most popular person around the middle school age or the high school age they're not in Beetlejuice. They're, you know what I mean. They're not the person to, coast, to, to cosplay, but yeah. But there's someone that needs their story. There's someone that needs their perspective of how do I join the industry? Where do I start? How do I even start raising money for a project? What do I, what do I oh do? Gosh. And that's the goal with my guests. Oh, with my guests, yeah.
0: I think that's I I, I I I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, at the end of the day. And like you say, who, whoever you are, if you're on ego, if you're whoever you are, whatever platform and whatever level of celebrity or non-celebrity and whatever that means to you, whatever position you are in life, we're just individually, we're just people that were born. We grew up with a love for, for the arts. We didn't know what that meant, right? Mm-hmm. Most of us would kind of went into the acting world because that was the most obvious thing that was artistic. And then slowly we find out as we get older, we find out our you know where our passions lie within the entertainment world, or the, uh, 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 and we kind of develop that as we go. But you know it's one day at a time, and we we're still learning. We're still always learning. There's no one that knows everything. We're individuals and constantly, constantly learning. So I I, I love what you what you said in the sense that it's not that everyone from all walks at all walks of life with all projects you're doing because. We don't know, we don't know what, I'm a producer today. I'm likely gonna always be a producer. But what that means to different people, to, to everyone else is it will vary to who you say, what does a producer do? You'll get a different answer. So for, for, for me, I'm constantly like, I'm on a journey and my journey won't end until the day, you know, that I, I, I move on, you know, to the other world. And, and I'm constantly learning. And it's by talking to people like you and to, it, it, talking to anyone, that we constantly learn new things. I, that was a bit of a ramble, but it was tr- it was agreeing and wholeheartedly saying, "I love what you're doing."
1: We ramble under wow <clears throat> nodes. Apparently, we ramble under multi hyphenate We it's okay. Sometimes we don't talk about anything industry related, and that's what we both needed on that interview, or the audience needed in that interview. It's like sometimes we just talk about like um randy graff i tony went randy graff i had on the episode because uh, uh, on the podcast which is a great episode because we we're dear friends i love her very much and we're two old jews just just you know fetching the entire episode and talking about really cool sort of stuff but she's a multi-hyphenate and sometimes it's just about centering multi-hyphenates and not even talking about it um, but you're talking about learning stuff and a, a a story that I center in my book, How to Be Multi Efinite in the Theater Business Conversations, Vice and Tips From Dear Multi Now, now now available now. Okay. So um uh um is my friend Zach Duran, who I grew up with, and he and he and I were both were you know, we still are, but it looks different but Broadway obsessed like of course we were thespians together and 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 we did shows and and um you know all of these things but our idea of hanging out was you know lip syncing to Patti LuPone doing Rose's turn and um uh he went to we both went to college for musical theater and then towards the end um of uh his stay at college, he decided he wanted to become an agent, um, that performing wasn't very much for him. And then he became an agent. He was at uh, Talent House, which is a great agency here in the city and also in Canada. And um, the 2016 election happened and he wasn't too happy about it. And he literally was like, watch. he would rather watch the news than go to his clients' shows. And he was like, I feel like something is happening within me so he left the industry and is now working in his local government in Fort Lauderdale because he believes that he needs to make a change and it took him out of the theater to make that change and sometimes as multi hyphenates sometimes as artists we understand our calling is much bigger than where we are in the moment so we're always learning we're always constantly learning and shifting
0: It's a great example. It's a great example. That's, that's, and that's how we should be as, as humans, as people, we're constantly, we should be constantly learning The minute we think we know everything or do everything, we become irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Because we've just become, we become routines and we get up at nine o'clock. We do clean our teeth and eight o'clock or seven o'clock, whoever goes to the gym. And we, we do the same thing day in, day out. And we don't, we don't learn and excel ourselves and you don't feed your brain right um we have to
1: we have to we have to because we're humans first right in order for us to create art we have to be humans first we have to take our experience and we have to then put it on stage and then we have you know then we write it it's like the people that only eat sleep and breathe auditioning or only eat sleep and breathe you know whatever it is it's it what what do you bring Uh, what are your current experiences that you're bringing? And um, you have to be a person first. You got to watch the news. You got to read stuff. You got to take a trip. You got to remove yourself for a second and make mistakes and fail big. And then you bring that. And then that's how you keep it alive. So you bring it. It's life experience. You bring that to to what we do as artists in whatever that
0: capacity that means to us.
1: And I always say, you know, multi-hyphenating is born out of um, you know, it, a multi-hyphenate is an artist who has multiple proficiencies, which cross-pollinate till flourish professional capabilities. That's what I say. Um, basically, it's someone that does a lot of shit, uh, but they, but all the shit that they do is cross-pollinates with each other. Um, but multi-hyphenates are normally um, othered or decentered, marginalized people because um, the industry usually centers cis, white, straight stories and right. um, we, a, a gay Jew, for instance, right? Like I look at some of my heroes, like even with Tin Pan Alley creating musical theater. Why did, why did George and Ira Gershwin and everyone start writing musical theater? And it's because we weren't allowed to do anything else. We weren't allowed to do anything else, so we created musical theater. And but it's Mel Brooks. Look at him. It's like the way the reason why he created most of the art that was to laugh. In Hitler's face. It was for survival. It was for healing. Um, look at, you know, Lynn Manuel Miranda, look at Issa Rae, look at uh, Whoopi Goldberg, look at um, Oprah, look at um, Shakina Nafak, look at uh, so many incredible people that are multi hyphenates that come from communities that are marginalized. And it's because they have to tell their stories, they're the ones that have to write them and bring them forward. So, uh, in order to be a multi a you have to mm. live. You have to learn. You have to, you know, you have to bring your perspective um, to the table. And uh, I don't think you can be a multi multihyphenate if you're only focused on. Uh, I have to be careful what I'm going to say. If you're only focused on the craft, you have to be a person. You have to be a real person.
0: Yeah, fully and 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 everyone you just mentioned you can you can see how you can see that you can see the background and you understand that exactly yeah, you, have, you have to you have to listen i think the the more the the the, the round down of this is you know we have to be human mm-hmm. we have to you have to and we have to communicate and respect our people mm-hmm. everyone around us and listen to the listen to everyone's stories because. Everyone's stories is unique and and individual, and yet they all intertwine. We all intertwine at the end of the day, and our stories div- overlap into others into each other's stories. Anyway, that's a ramble as well. But,
1: <laughs> Where are you from?
0: Uh, I'm from London, South London. What um, part? It's called Carshorton. Beaches. Oh, um, it sounds really glamorous. Beaches being the the tree, not the sea. Um, uh, so it's full of trees. Um, uh, but it's it's near, I mean, the the, pl- the place that people will know or hear may have heard of is Croydon, um, which is where Adele's from and God, and blank on everyone else. But lots of people are from Croydon because the uh, there's a big um, art school there.
1: Um, I lived in London uh, for about five months. I studied abroad. I went to Ithaca for musical theater. Yeah, and uh, the London Center is was on Gloucester Road, and it was right next to mm, was it Gilbert or Sullivan's house, one of them, uh, which was really cool for me because I love Pirates of Penzance, I love I love uh, GNS, and um, that was really cool. And I can safely say that that semester abroad living in London was some of the best moments of my life and I'm I I, I'm a New Yorker I love New York it's in my blood I want to be here forever but damn I love that city I love London and any chance I can I can go back I I do and I love it and get to see the incredible theater that's produced there um but truthfully some of the best memories and experiences I've ever had were there it was amazing
0: same. And I hear that a lot. I mean, London is, it's a magical place. I think part of it, you know, I think Europe in general, I think part of it's because of the age and the history that it, that it has. I mean, the, mm. you know, you, you, especially in London, you, you know, you can't turn a corner without some piece of history or some historic piece of something is there. And it's, it's gorgeous. And, and, you know, I think, I think there's something magic, you know, the grass is always greener. We all know that. Sure. Um, there is something magical about London. I mean, every time I'm back home, I love it them there for maybe a month or however long and I'm like oh I itch to get back to New York I've been in New York now for near to 20 years and I knew as a kid and I don't I can tell you why it's because of Cagney and Lacey but I knew as a kid that I wanted to move to New York that's amazing yes I used to watch Cagney and Lacey and I'd be like oh well obviously I need to move to New York because it looks so exciting even I was like it was like the worst vision of
1: New York that you could have probably imagined at that time did you see Time Daily do masterclass I did the the west end production oh no i saw her
0: when she did um
1: uh at the mtc right yeah i saw both because oh, well, I mean... because that <laughs> i saw both just you know just putting it out there um the, uh, this isn't a competition but i did see both um i that production i it saved me because you know i first of all i think she's absolutely brilliant and um uh there's um that line is all about you know that the show is all about you know why we do what we do as artists so um I was having these questions but I was having these questions more about life I was having like this existential crisis I I mean it sounds kind of wild I literally didn't understand what music was I didn't know why I had hands I I I didn't I forgot like I I think it was like an Nervous breakdown in college because I I didn't nothing was familiar anymore. It was very strange. Everything was all of a sudden very. I was like, why are there windows? What are windows? Oh, right. Okay, they let in ventilation and like they let in like everything. I was starting over. It was very very weird. Um. So seeing certain shows helped, and Masterclass was one of them because of the headiness of Terrence McNally's script um about why we do what we do and which is a huge uh a huge part of being a multi-hyphenate and an artist why we do what we do but um I stage doored it because I was in college and um because I was in college because I was in college It stopped after college because I'm a <laughs> professional now um and uh for some reason Tyne Daily like grabbed my hands and she was like I think you need this quote all art is trying to be life no what was it all life is trying to be art and all art is trying to be music isn't that beautiful and I was like it helped so much like that one thing that she gave to me at the stage door like I was like oh my gosh yes that is so beautiful I love that and uh that helped and then the next semester I was living in London and um master was in the west end and um I made all my friends come see it because I was like, "This is really important, important piece," and it was so beautiful, it was amazing. You staged all, huh? I did. No, I didn't in the West End. I I tried not to in the West End. Because the one person I staged. Are you ready for this? Here's a great story. And she's you can't see her, but she's on my wall right there. Um, and now I have her bed, so it's a happy ending. Um, not that kind of happy ending, but anyway. So um, uh, Francis Ravel who I now know as Frankie um, was in the uh, many a chocolate factory production of Pippin mm. um, that I was like, I have to go see Francis Raffel original Tony winning Eponine. And, um, I have to see this prediction of Pippin. It looks incredible because this was also before the 14 revival and um, it was one of the coolest experiences I ever had at the at the many a chocolate factory it was done as a video game it was just amazing and frankie was incredible as a oh. so anyway i uh now know that if there's a bar frankie will will be there having fun and um my friends and i went to the bar and we um were having a drink and so i didn't stage door it on purpose but she came out of the stage door which is right near the bar of the many a and uh, from what I remember, and I like ambushed her. I was like, oh, my God, I I, I was you as Eponine for Halloween this past year. And um, I, I love the I love you on the White Album and the Grey Album. And I was just like total fangirling. And she was like, can I see a picture of you as epic? She thought that I was making fun of her. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's, it's good. And it, it was it's a great costume. So then five years later, flash forward. Um, I am seeing Patty do deconstructing Patty with Seth Rodesky after a um on a Monday night, a dark night of war paint. And she's singing I dream to dream, and she's uh, uh, she stops in the middle of the show she goes, la- she goes, ladies and gentlemen, Francis Raphael And Frankie walks on stage and they do this I, I dream to dream on my own mashup. And I was like, oh, I'm going to the after party, so I-, I can't wait to say hi. So I go up to her and I'm like um, Mr. Fell, I, I, I'm not sure if you remember me, but I would I met you. At, and she interrupts me and goes, you and me is happening for Halloween. <laughs> and she totally remembered me five years later. And I totally freaked out. And then she was like, I don't know. I just moved here and I don't have any friends. So you want to be friends? And we fully became friends. She said that or you said that? She said that. She was, she was okay. the one... That- She was the one that was like, I just moved here. You want to be friends? And I was like, yeah, I do. So then we went on like double dates and like we like I I just helped her move out of her apartment and I took her bed. So like I love and it's I I mean, it's amazing like what happens when you stage door something or or meet someone respectfully when you are, you know, there's a difference.
0: Yeah, I was literally just going to say you took those words out of my mouth. It's not it. It's about just be. It's about connection,
1: and it's about being you.
0: You didn't fangirl for the sake of networking, right? You were genuine. You were being who you, you know. You were being you. The time. It's all a kind of. It's all relative, right? Because of the time connection, you went to see Tine again. You know, it's all. Well, actually, the the not connected the stories are, but the connect the 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 time thing. You needed it. You needed to hear that at that time. Some re- for some reason you went to that show, and you need whatever what for whatever reason. The world, made, the, the world collided to take you to that show for time to say what she said to you when she said it, right? And then the, the Francis thing, you were supposed to be in each other's lives. Like, it's just, it was gonna happen. It, de- it depends on how, which path you both took to get there, but ultimately you were, it was supposed to be. You were, you were her help when she needed you in New York and vice versa. I just, I, I mean, for me, I mean, it sounds, it it all sounds really spooky, spooky, But I, I truly believe in that. I truly believe in in the 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 people that come into our lives when they come into our lives, we all have reasons and connections to be there for each other. Like there's a reason why, you know, even this conversation now, there's a reason why this is happening. I mean, it's not just because our press guy put us together and we're, you know, we're having this chat. This, hopefully this conversation is going to resonate with someone on your podcast and it's going to be a click into something else. And who knows what that means for me and you as well. And somewhere down the line of whatever it is that we end up doing in, on, our, on our different platforms together. Like there's, there's, there's always reasons. It's how, it's if you listen to them and if you genuinely connect, like you li- allow yourself to be genuine in the moment. You so know, we're-, we're all, No, please. Didn't I was going to say, mean. we're also focused on our phones now. Mm-hmm. So phone is everything. And I'm guilty of it, you know, we all, you know, we all are to a, a degree and we don't pay attention to the in, to the now, to where we are, you know, we're at a concert and we're filming the concert or we're taking pictures and we're not, we're not in that moment, which is, which is where we should be, obviously. It's like, we're too busy doing other things. And it's only when you connect, allow yourself to actually connect a human connection that these things happen, that, that you realize the reasons why you are being connected. Yeah. I don't believe in coincidences. instances. I mean, we all say coincidences happen, but I don't believe they're coincidences. I believe that they are meant, we are meant to be in the rooms we're in. It's just I how it's you listening to the, to the, if you're listening to the self and the energy that's being created, that's when these things happen.
1: I believe that too. I, I, I love what you're saying. Cause I say that too. I actually don't believe that there are any coincidences. I think everything, I think, I think, um, I don't think mediums, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, but I don't think mediums are, or mediums or, or, or uh, fortune tell, or whoever, I don't think that they are special in terms of they have something that we don't. I think we all do have it. It's just something that some of us have pushed down and deem as coincidence or That was weird that that happened. I'm whatever. Things can be crazy sometimes. Or some people have chosen to really listen to it and practice it. When we were, I was just in New Orleans with my group of friends for my bachelor party and literally flew back yesterday. And it was so wild because we weren't on our phones for two days. And now I could tell you everything that happened in that trip from start to finish. I remember everything. And everything we were, we were literally on our phones as a group once. And it was, we went to Starbucks so we could use the bathroom. And while we were all waiting for each other, we just like checked our phones to make sure everything was good. But like, we were not on our phones most of the day. We barely even took pictures, which is like crazy, but we were with each other. We were having fun. And now I can remember every single second of the that trip which was one of the most important trips of my life right my bachelor party with four of my best friends and also we i think experienced more of um the spirituality of the place because there we were on a ghost tour and josh one of my best friends on the trip was we were walking and this woman was in conversation you ready for this in conversation with another woman and she we're walking past we're on a ghost tour walking past And then she locks eyes with Josh walking by. She's talking to this woman and then she goes, I tried to warn them about you, Josh. And then continues walking with her friend and walking away. And the five of us were like, what the actual fuck was that? What does it mean? Couldn't tell you. And it's like, he's the nicest guy. Like, it was like, what is happening? It was so wild, but like multiple things happened like that in that trip, right? And like we were able to because we weren't on our we weren't on our phones. We um we were with each other, we were present. We chose in those two days to actively listen to each other and the world around us, not being clouded by distractions and look what happens in two days when you do that like it's you you, you, there's so much more mysticism there's so much more so how do you as an artist as a producer like how does that factor into your work into the pro into the productions you choose into the um into your everyday workflow like how does how does that active listening that um impulse following uh the that mysticism, how does that fall into your work?
0: It's a re- it's a great question. It, it, for me, it, it's about well, it's about. Does, I think this is obviously the, the obvious answer for I think every creative is how does it speak to me, mm-hmm. right? How is this piece? How is this? Whatever the idea, whatever the IP is, the intellectual property that you're working with, how has it spoken to me mm-hmm. or to you? if be it be an article you've read or a book you a book you've just picked up or a movie you've seen or a however the material is coming to you how do when you connect to it how does it move you how, what do you see what do you feel and is that the story you want to tell and ultimately if you if you if you're moved and you're feeling something you know that that story needs to be told be it, be it your own story or be it a story that you know other people need to hear Because, you know, like you said earlier, and the same things is that there's, everybody needs something at some time, Mm -hmm. that that kernel of something just to help them. Um, And so that's kind of how, that's kind of how we at Madison Walls Live, at least, choose our our pieces. Like, it's, it's about stories that haven't been told, voices Mm -hmm. that need to be heard. Um, Kind of, you know, the, the hope is that we give platforms to artists and creatives that haven't had those platforms, or, or 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 not to the extent that we're trying to give them, or you know trying to put our shows onto. Um, we're we're developing one show, um, a play um, based on a book by Ali Benjamin called The Thing About Jellyfish, and it's a beautiful. Um, it it was a YA novel, um, a New York Times bestseller. we in the same way that Curious Instant was. Um, we're developing it in the same way. For For adults, for the adult audience, who can bring the the you know the younger audience? but it's not a child piece that we're creating, but it's a beautiful story. It's a coming of age story. It's a thirteen year old girl who finds out that she loses her best friend um, at the beginning of the book. And so it's how it's how the child deals with grief and and it, it, the bigger metaphor here is is how you, how we as we as a child, going into this adulthood, like, you know, from 12 into 13, into, your, into the big school, and, and, and life itself, we are changing, we're learning more about who we're becoming, and who we're becoming as adults, and who this person is, and so we do change, and we, in a way, we metamorphosize, right, we, we go from being the caterpillar into the, to the butterfly, and whatever that means to anyone, you are changing, so you, you lose things, you lose friendships, you lose, you lose identities, and you gain new ones. And so it's this beautiful it's this, it's a beautiful story of coming of age story, and it's about how we grapple with these things and how we deal and look back at these things. And I just for me, I thought that's an a really important story. It spoke to me. um i I didn't lose a I didn't physically lose a friend um, uh, at that age. but I certainly lost. I certainly remember. I remember being seven years old, and knowing me as Jamie was changing. And I mean that through. i I, I understood that I was starting to to look at um, uh, men, or I say men, it sounds really weird around that age, but you know, the same sex thinking, feeling something and thinking that was not really understand what that meant, obviously. And people on, who can't see me, this is this is pre-internet days. There was no Googling of what anything meant. So this is like work it out yourself. Um, so I remember those feelings. And then I remember coming into like 11 years old friends Kind of disintegrating from me because I was changing as who I was and who I who I was becoming as an adult and who who I needed around me speaking of knowing knowing you know what's right for you I I knew I needed people around me to support whatever it was that was different about me um and so that was a really wha- rambled way of saying that's why this this book really spoke to me on different levels and and I feel like it's a story that's not really told is because there is a kind of grief there is a kind of grief of growing up. You have to learn how to let go of this thing that you're not anymore, which is a protected, innocent child. I mean, hopefully that's the life you were brought up in. You know, you all of a sudden have to become this adult. You have to become responsible. You have to take responsibility for your own things. And only you were gonna get you there. And so that's a long way of saying that's why I loved and really resonated with this book called The Thing About Jellyfish. And that's why we've been adapting it into a play. Um, so we're working with Tyne Raffaelli who, um, who will be directing it. Um, Heath Boonin's uh, writing the book and um, it's gonna be great. I'm, I, I, I'm super excited about it. Super, super excited about it. Um, and then there was another piece, a very different piece uh, that I came across my desk and it's about the creation of, it's what actually was called The Cradle of Jazz. Um, it's a piece called uh, currently titled Jenkins, working with Whitney White, who's an incredible director. Um, and she... The, the, the base of the story here is in the 18, 1880s, there was a, a Reverend Daniel Jenkins who um, created the first Black Orphanage called uh, Jenkins Black Orphanage. And he had about 100, 100 orphans in there, all a varying age between four to 18. And he had about 100 and he realized they, they were starting to cough in the evening. And to help, and they, he realized that they had contracted TB, tuberculosis. And so to help, he realized to help them that he had to build up the strength of their lungs. So he asked his congregation to bring in all the instruments they they all had, wooden in, instruments, wind instruments. And he brought in musicians and he taught them all how to, they, He was, they were taught how to play these instruments. Um, inherently they were actually very good. So from that, he created Jenkins Orphanage Band. He put them in civil war uniforms so they were less threatening on the streets. And on a Sunday outside church, they would perform church music. There was about 15 to 20 people in the band. They had two young boys conducting with their little batons pretending to conduct, doing a dance, made up this little dance for them. So it was entertaining. Um, they were great. They got known as the Charlestons. I should have said this is in Charleston, Carolina. Um, the, they got known as the Charlestons. They went on small little tours to make to raise money for the orphanage. In the evening, the, the kids would practice on their instruments and they would start playing with each other, different sounds, not the church music. Jenkins heard this musical conversation happening and he incor incorporated it into the music, so it so it starts to play on the streets. New music, new sound. No one's heard this. We then uh, cut to Louis Armstrong, Duke Ellington. Jabbo Smith was in the band. Uh, Duke Ellington and Louis and uh, Louis Armstrong, as kids, heard the, saw this the band and heard this band credit having seen that band as the cradle of jazz. If they hadn't have heard this music in the, in the when they did, they wouldn't have created and developed the music that we know as jazz. Um, it's an incredible story, a true story that is relatively unknown. Um, Porgy and Bess, speaking of, Porgy and Bess, uh, there's that jazz scene mm-hmm. in, in Porgy and Bess, the, 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 and you have the jazz band coming on stage. Um, that's the Jenkins band that was written because they were seen. And so they were incorporated into it. When it opened on Broadway, the Jenkins band were in the orchestra playing. It's an incredible, incredible story. It, go, it, it, it goes on. There's many tangents. This is gentleman's amazing history. So, that's incredible. so to me, for obvious reasons, but it's also, it's a story of, you know, ultimately you boil it down, it's one father's journey to save his children and the the strengths and the lets you would go to to do that. And through that becomes this, you know, this new sound that's created that is goes on to influence the sound that becomes jazz to Louis Armstrong and, and Duke Ellington and, and the list goes on, honestly. Um, all through one you know Jenkins desired to help his children fight or live with TB to build the strength of their lungs I mean I think more importantly as well you think in the 1880s um you know this orphanage was created in in in, in South Carolina it's just just you know the the hardships that must have been that had, would have gone with that as well so it's an incredible story. And there's also, there's another element to that last part of the story, which is the two boys, the batons, when mm-hmm. they would do the dance, make it entertaining. Well, this because this, this sound of this kind of this, what we now know as jazz sound was so like infectious. The people that would stand and listen to it, they would start copying that dance and that dance becomes the Charleston.
1: Oh, Crazy, that's right? wild. Right. You know, it's it's so incredible hearing your passion for these projects, because I feel like, you know, once you start hanging around the industry for a while, you start to understand, like, maybe the producers weren't so passionate about this project, or <clears throat> something got lost in translation here, or um, what is the why of why this show is happening and i believe that there are shows that absolutely need to happen for us to get out of our heads and and forget about the world they those serve just as much purpose as a show that is holding a mirror up to society right like play that goes wrong or where peter pan goes wrong i just saw peter pan goes wrong <clears throat> on broadway uh a week and a half ago or something like that and i forgot about the world for you know an hour and a half. I forgot about the world and I forgot about everything that's happening in it. And then I was able to sort of refresh and you know, genuinely laugh about something and 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 not worry about if it was racist or anti anti-Semitic or transphobic. It was just genuine fun, which was great. Um, and so that serves a purpose, right? And then uh and then i see a show like leopoldstadt which is so important so um uh specific to a certain history that as someone as a as a jewish person the only art i really see that has to do with judaism is holocaust or something like that you know what i mean it's usually a holocaust story and it was different it was um, yes, it it was before the Holocaust, but it talked about a Jewish identity that I didn't know existed, or you know, people running away from their Judaism. It was really interesting. Um, so, but those are two very specific projects which I understand why they are produced, but there are others where I go, what, what, yeah. why, why are we taking up this space? But you. I hear these two projects and I go, those have to happen immediately because I have to see, I have to see them. I have to hearing you talk about them and your passion behind that. And then that, that I'm, you know, that's how you, that's how you get investors to sign on. That's how you produce a show is knowing so deeply why you are producing something.
0: Uh well, thank you for saying that. That's very <clears throat> and, and I, and, and much appreciated. Um, I think that is that, listen, you know, we all see shows that we think the same thing. Like, why, you know? And that's okay because somebody else would have seen that show and didn't think that and thought that was great. And that's, you know, that's the great thing about art. It's all subjective, right? Our our opinion is, is, is literally that it's our opinion. And it's okay to have that opinion, be kind with it, but it's okay to have it because someone else will have a different one. but 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 you know there are times when you see shows where you're like how did that get to that what was the original idea behind that Mm -hmm. and i think what's important for everyone to remember which i think sometimes we forget is it takes a long time to create theater Mm -hmm. you know such you know shows will take you know the jenkins show the, the, the 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 jazz piece i'm talking about you know well actually both the shows i'm talking about we've been doing for you know not shy of two years Mm -hmm. um in varying stages but they've you know the play is closer to becoming fruition than than the Jenkins piece they're going to take a few years and I think you it's easy to get lost when you're involved in something so for so long in that way and the other thing I think is 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 easy to to happen is surrounding yourselves with yes people Mm -hmm. I think it's important to not surround yourself with yes people and I think that's an obvious thing to say and I'm not saying that anyone does that on purpose but it's it becomes it becomes hard I think that the higher you become up the food chain in an organization I think sometimes the harder it is for some people to say no to you or to tell or maybe to tell the truth and I don't know I think sometimes obviously this is an obvious thing to say but it's it it, outside eyes are always better than inside eyes Mm -hmm. and I and you should heed the advice from those outside eyes
1: We should bring back show doctors, honestly. You know what I mean? It's Absolutely. I mean, they got
0: such a bad flack. And I I mean, sometimes for right reasons, but because sometimes the show doctors came in and didn't really do anything good. And, you know, that's a problem, right? And then you're like, what's the point, you know? But I think it's before that. I mean, you know, most shows do out-of-town tryouts or, you know, you're doing a regional somewhere. And whether you come to Broadway or not to Broadway, you're just out of town because you're not in New York. Is irrelevant. Having somebody listening to your preview, the reason why previews are really there is to listen to your audience. What's working? What's not working? Mm-hmm. Let me, let me look at it subjectively. Does that scene work? I know I spend ten thousand dollars on that scene piece or that costume, but is it really doing what it's meant to do? Let's not keep it in there because it cost me ten thousand dollars or fifteen thousand dollars or hundred thousand dollars. Like, yes, that's a that's a that's a tough band aid to rip off, but rip it off because you'll you'll be you'll benefit from it. Three years down the line when your show's still running.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and some sorry,
0: didn't mean to interrupt. That. I was gonna say it's also easier. It's this is easier said than done. And we all know that. You know, right. we, we get caught up in ourselves. We love our projects, and sometimes you can't see the wood through the trees.
1: Yeah. And also sometimes ego gets in the way, right? Like it's, you know, I did a pre-Broadway tryout of a show and I got fired from it. And 20 of us got fired from the show. You know, they only kept like six or seven of the you know main people and you know the show the reason why it was so great was you know was the intimacy of it and the um and the uh what we did on stage, what we did as as a group and the choices that were made by the creative team. And then when it went to Broadway, it sort of um went from intimate to a spectacle. It was kind of the same production, but in a house that was literally almost four times the size of where we tried out out of town. And -hmm. it just, it took away the intimacy. It took it. What made the, this revival so special. Um, And whatever choice, like did they take the theater because that was the first one to open up? Did they, you know, do it because they were like, wow, this can explode and we could do this. On crack and make it five times bigger, you know. Where is where that was that thought not? I can't imagine the thought not going into it because you know to put a show on Broadway is expensive, but it just you know it sort of took away the rawness that you know Ben Brantley loved you know in New York. It gave it um uh, out of town that it got a critic's pick from you know, and it's so it, it, those those things. It's like what what goes into a show? Is it just some of the wrong mistakes, the right mistakes, the right choices, the wrong choices, ego, not thinking too much. There's so much that goes into a show um, that whether it makes it a hit or not. And it's also time period. It's, it's uh, um, it's when it's being produced, right? Like I feel like there are certain shows that were not hits that are being revived now and are hits and vice versa, the original production's brilliant, but then the, we bring the revival there, and it flops. It's it. What is happening politically? What is happening socially? It's it's. There's so many things to think about when mm. producing that you know factors that there's still no you know we're 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 going we're going strong, but there's still no cocktail. There's still no well, recipe,
0: and never will there be. I mean, I think ultimately, <clears throat> you know, your piece has to be. Considered good, but mm-hmm. ultimately, mm-hmm. a lot of this plays into timing. Like when when you come in, mm-hmm. it, we're talking about Broadway specifically. I guess mm-hmm. like when you come into Broadway, what what is the landscape? What's the what's the emotional landscape you're coming into? Mm-hmm. Um, what else is playing? You know, it's very heavy on Broadway right now. Mm-hmm. I'm a co-produced which is lead produced by Mike Bosner, and I have to say. I'm so happy to be part of that show. It's a fun, super fun, catchy, corny show. And no pun. And it's, for me, it feels, and again, it's subjective, but for me, it feels like it's needed so much on Broadway right now. Just this kind of irrelevant laughter. I mean, it has a beautiful heart, you know, to it, but it's just funny. You know, you can sit there for three hours and be a bit like Peter Pan. It's just fun. You can go and forget what's happening around you right now, which people need to do. Mm-hmm. So the timing of Shuck is perfect. If Shut came in in a, in a you know in a world where Avenue Q and Book of Mormon were all on the same time, it might get lost in the noise. Mm-hmm. Right now, it's the timing is perfect. I'm I'm um we're producing a play uh, a musical. Uh, we're enhancing it up at um, Arena Stage with our producing partners um, Matthew Matson and Sean Huddock um, called Swept Away, which is a musical with the Avid brothers, um, uh, and uh, Michael Mayer and John Logan, a beautiful creative team. Um, it's quite a dark story. It's a beautiful story. It's a story of, of redemption and, um, and actually like kind of how, how much you will go, how far you go to, to protect your loved ones. Um, the music is if you don't know the Avett brothers and their specifically their minia album but the music is sublime it's what drew me in the music is gorgeous but you know we're doing a, we're trying out in the fall if we were to come in to broadway now i don't know how i don't know how the the, the emotional landscape how it fit in there but we don't you know next year's another year you know something mm-hmm. out you know w- it could be that we come in next year in the the spring or the fall, and it's uh it's the right time. It's I know, so true. It sounds like I'm shooting myself in the feet by saying that, but 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 it's it really is. It's about timing, and sometimes people take a theater because it's available, and it's not always the best thing to do. And sometimes you don't need to go to Broadway. Going to Broadway doesn't make your show a show. It doesn't mean oh great that's success or failure. I understand the economics of, of Broadway and understand why people like to go to Broadway and what it does for the title. But, but sometimes you can kill your show by going to Broadway. You could have a much longer life, licensing or touring and or you know international and never come to Broadway. You don't need to come to Broadway. It's great, it has its perks, obviously, if your show's a success. And and we all know success is different in many different ways. What does success mean? You know, we think of it, you know, producers, I guess, think of it as from, predominantly from a financial point of view, but there's also critical success and accolades and, and all the other things that come with that. Again, another ramble.
1: No, I love a good ramble because in the Variety, <clears throat> in the Variety article um, that came out in uh, announcing um New projects that Madison Wells is doing, uh, you know, one being um, the thing about Jellyfish. Uh, I believe it's G- uh, Gigi Pritzker. Yep. Yep. She says, I'm super bullish on the theater business, especially if you divine theater more broadly than the 42 venues that are Broadway. There's a world of opportunity that's very exciting. And it's so true. Theater happens everywhere. One of my favorite shows that I've ever seen in my life is that Pippin revival with Frankie Raffel at the a Chocolate Factory a non-conventional space that um just took a risk in terms of the way it told the story and I was obsessed with it That and that wouldn't translate to a jewel box theater on Broadway or wouldn't it wouldn't translate to a Broadway theater but my experience there was uh, was brilliant and I'll never ever forget it and I don't care if I'm the only person that loved it I loved it um the She Stoops to Conquer revival that was in 2012 at the National Theater with Sophie Thompson. Um, I was obsessed with it. I was obsessed with it. And um, I don't know if I necessarily would have been obsessed with it if it was done in a different space. I loved the grandeur. I loved it being on the drum, the revival. So there are certain shows that work beautifully in a proscenium space like Broadway. And there are some, some that don't belong there, that, <clears throat> that belong in, in in a space uh, that's why I'm really excited to see Here Lies Love, the revival of Here Lies Love, because I saw it at the public and I thought it was so brilliant. I I absolutely loved it. And um, I'm interested to see what they do with the Broadway theater in terms of ex- excavating the seats. And we're going to be, you know, walking around. But will it work in a in the Broadway theater? We we, we can only tell by going and experiencing it. And um, that's the incredible thing about what you're saying is that it just doesn't it it. It a show doesn't have to be on Broadway for it to be a a success. Yeah, yeah.
0: It, it it does not. It doesn't at all. And like you say, this, some of the some of the most profound experiences we have are in theaters that aren't Broadway. I mean, you know, Broadway clearly we see a fan, many fantastic shows. Mm-hmm but theater happens all over the world and those theaters are, success- are successful and the shows are successful and it just just because you haven't seen them on broadway doesn't mean they don't exist and it doesn't mean that, that they aren't you know a great pieces of theater that, mm-hmm. that do what they should do which is also you know make money
1: it's so true i'm so excited to see shucked i haven't seen it yet um but uh you know everyone is saying that there's so much heart involved it's hysterical and of course alex newell is brilliant but Something from a producerial, producerial, yeah, producerial point of view is, I love how much you didn't give away, um, in terms of bringing it to Broadway. It got a lot of buzz with people being like, "What is this?" Because it just sort of happened, right? And which I loved, and everyone was like, "Okay, sure, let's do it," and um. And uh, I can't wait to see it because I know I'm going to love it. Those are my favorite types of shows. The shows that sort of come in and just like everyone goes, oh my God, hello? Like, where have you been? Those are my favorite, my favorite ones. And um, so I'm really, really excited to see it. And I know I'm going to love it. And um, it's also such an incredible creative team and cast. So can't wait. And and I love I love this show. So many of the shows that you've done, like the company revival, which I also saw in the West end. Absolutely loved um, the inheritance. Uh, you know, there are so many shows that you've done that like there, you know, we're talking about like what makes a show a success and stuff. Um, and, uh, and there, I loved Passover as well, Hadestown. And I think, um, you know, I say multi hyphenating is, um, is the, it, it the the only lucrative way in the theater business to find stability Mm -hmm. and um because you're constantly advocating for yourself you're the one that are making that that that's making choices you are the one that is funding your projects you're hiring people you're literally helping people pay their bills it's socially responsible but that's also in part of understanding your why and why you do what you do, and you know I see that in the shows that you've chosen. You know, Passover was so great, and and I understood why it was being produced. Same with Company, same with uh, the Inheritance, and I feel like, you know, those. Um, that's why we're still talking about these shows, even though they're not on Broadway anymore. It's still why we're talking about these shows and why they've lasted with us is because I feel like there's a clear why a clear understanding of why a show needs to happen from the pro- producing team.
0: Yeah. I, I fully, yeah, thank you. I fully, I fully agree with that, <clears throat> obviously, but I think it's more about those shows. They say, a, they say a why like mm-hmm. they, they're very clear on what they're saying and mm-hmm. why, why they need to be said. I think, yeah. you know, the company revival was, had a very clear voice, mm-hmm. you know, it, and, it, and, it, and in a way I tried to shy away from revivals, personally, um, for, for my own reasons, but I couldn't help with this one. I, I think the vision on this and, and the and the way the story was truly revived. Like for me, the revival is not just a case of the list puts it back on because the music's great. It's like, why? What is it about telling the story now that's important? Like, why is this story different now than it was then? Because it's a different world, very different world from whenever something was written. Mm-hmm. And, you, there has to be a reason why it's relevant now. And I think company, I, I think t- truly nailed that. And I mean, Hadestown is obvious. Passover was, was just a a piece and a, and a voice that needed to be seen and heard. when mm-hmm. it's a, a wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, very smart, and intelligent and, and, and beautiful. And the piece what I think was really spoke and resonated especially at the time coming back from the pandemic. Um, <clears throat> Anyway, yeah, I I I fully agree. All those pieces felt like, and there was an urgency to what to what they would, to to why they were being there, and mm-hmm. and I think creatively as well, the teams behind them just produced a a beautiful beautiful pieces of theater. Another I,
1: ramble. No, I we love. That's what the episode is going to be called. Another ramble, and I love it, Jamie Foxx. You are amazing, and I can't wait to see you work with you chat with you again um this was such a fantastic conversation and thank you for being here where can we where can we if I hit this mic one more time where can we follow you where can we uh um uh interact with you what's your socials um
0: so our work social is hey
1: madison hey madison
0: wells on um instagram mine's jamesy E Foreshaw. um And then there's the websites and there's the web and Facebooks and all all those things. Uh, They're the best places to reach us, I guess. Instagram
1: well Jamie thank you so much and thank you all for listening as always please follow Jamie and Madison Wells as well but also Dear Multi Hyphenate and at the Michael Kushner on Instagram uh, and rate, subscribe, comment do all that good stuff especially on Apple Podcasts, please and as always my book How to Be a Multi in Theater Business, Conversations, Advice and Tips from Dear Multi is published by Rutledge Publishing and it's available now you can get it at the Drama Bookshop you can do it on Rutledge you can do it at Barnes Noble you can do Amazon all that good stuff so please um you know i have a new floor to put in the house so uh buy a book or a hundred whatever it is um but thank you all and uh more soon you're the best